The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show today, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And it's a bit of a stripped down Thursday club, first of all because it's on a Wednesday, second of all because we don't have Jack Collins, but we do have Fulham's writer for The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, thank you, Sammy. How are you doing? Yeah, fine, thank you. A bit perked up um, after yesterday's results. So in this episode, we're going to look back at Fulham's one or draw at Old Trafford. A baffling lineup from Scott Parker, which somehow worked. Uh, Fulham getting a point and, and potentially could have got more than a point if VAR had actually been able to do its job. So we're going to look back at what was a dead rubber, but uh, an enjoyable dead rubber at Old Trafford and also get Peter's view on everything that's been happening off the field. Um, Scott Parker versus the hierarchy has kicked off in the last few days, basically kicked off in the uh, hours preceding our last podcast with Peter. So there's a lot to catch up with him. And, And I guess we'll look heads to the Newcastle game, probably most notable for the return of fans to Craven Cottage. Uh, let's do some three word reviews before we get into it. Um, some great ones here. First one from PFFC 11, which was weird team worked. Uh, fully agree there. Uh, I think you'll like this one, Peter. Patrick Brown says strife of Brian. <laughs> Very good. I thought it was excellent. Um, Fulham FC Asia says brilliant Bristol boys. Yes, of course, Decker Dover Reed and Joe Bryan linking up at Old Trafford at the Stratford end. Iconic stuff. Uh, and then finally, I'm sure this will be the uh, pod name as well. I reckon this has been the pod name before, but it, it worked perfectly. Jack Taplin, Theatre of Reams. Yes, very nice. 120 likes on the reply there for Jack Taplin. So had to be done. I'm, I'm sure... Back in the archives, we must have called one Theatre of Reams before, but it worked perfectly in the scenario. So uh, well done, Jack, a worthy uh, pod name. And and yeah, Peter, let's get your reaction to the draw yesterday. Fully unexpected. Um, I kept a bit of a low profile on Twitter because I, I, I very much went on the rampage beforehand saying that we were going to lose 8-0. Um, that is definitely not what happened. Although I feel like, can you blame me for thinking that was going to happen? Yeah, it was uh, when the lineup dropped, there was... A bit of shock, I think. Um, I mean, Scott Parker that sort of hinted that he would make changes looking to to next year, but um, I still think it was a surprise to see the team that he put out. Um, you know, I think t- Tim Ream's inclusion his first start since October. Um, obviously, Joe Bryan come back in. I don't think there was as much surprise about that, considering how he performed it at Southampton. Um, but yeah, I mean, you factor in the fact that um, Alexander Mitrovic wasn't in the squad. Um, you know, Mara Lamina then started at centre half uh, in the early stages before Harrison Reed picked up that injury. It was, um, yeah, it was a, a little bit of concern, but actually the, the team performed really, really well. I think defensively we're, were pretty solid, and, um, and and especially in the second half uh, had much more of a, an attacking threat. And in fairness to to Reem, um, you know, he hasn't played so long, hasn't doesn't have match game time under his belt, but you know, I thought he was excellent, absolutely outstanding. So. Uh, and the same goes for, for Brian, and who picked up a, a goal in the second half. Do, do we think that's potentially a nod to next season? I saw that you tweeted about 10 minutes before the podcast. <laughs> a lot of people getting confused thinking that Tim Ream was out of contract this summer. And it turns out he isn't. 
No, he's not out of contract. I, I myself thought he was out of contract as well, but um, he signed an extension at the same time as, as Joe Bryan did last summer. So his his deal now runs until 2022. So yeah, it wasn't a strange one. It wasn't some kind of, you know, uh, you know Tim Ream bowing out with, with some games. It was uh, very much a case, uh, as, as Parker has said, of looking to, to next season and, and trying to pivot to those contracted players. I, I think one of the, the sort of, big discussion points was about whether why some lonely players played and why others didn't um parker said that was because it was a balance um i think amarit rodek's been unlucky i know alphonse ariel has been excellent and you know when you see the way he performed at old trafford last night and you you you, you do think well um it's understandable and he's very very unlucky to miss out on the france squad too actually um but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, all, all told, it was a, a lineup that sort of came together and, and performed really, really well. Yeah, it did as well. And maybe we're all guilty of knocking Tim Ream a bit. I'm definitely guilty. I I, I think I need to go on the record and uh, you know scale back some of the tweets that I did last night when I when I saw his inclusion. It reminded you that okay. The pace has gone with Ream, and, and I think if we started Ream for 38 games this season, I think we would have conceded a lot more goals than we have. But also, like his positional sense on a field has never been in doubt, and I, I guess proved a bit of his quality as well. And 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 I, and I enjoyed that from Ream, mm. and I think he he. he he stuck one up to a few of the naysayers who probably have have, have been on his back and, and saying that he isn't premier league level i still don't think he is but i think maybe he proved that he's not quite as bad as maybe we've made him out to be i think i think with ream as well I, he hasn't really been given that much of a shot at the premier league um in his two two stints uh i know obviously at the start of the season it was very very difficult um but you know i, I think back to the wolves game at molyneux where he came in and it was just before fulham recruited tosnad rabio and, and Joachim anderson and terence congolo as well um and he played very, very well in, in defence alongside Maxime Lamarchand. And I just wonder if in a back three it actually suits him a little bit. You know, he has that space on the left side, uh, has the has support of Tosin Adrabaya, who seemed to clear every header yesterday. Um, and that was quite a nice nice sort of balance. And of course, you know, what he's renowned for is also his ability on the ball and to progress it from the back. And you, you think to Slavisa Jokanovic's playoff winning side and how important he was that year. And um, yeah, he's a different player now. Of course, he is. He's 33, but um, there's certainly a role to play there, and there certainly has experience. And, and of course, on an international level, and and also alongside, you know, Anthony Robinson. Obviously, he's been he's been he's injured at the moment with an ankle knock. But you know, both international teammates, Anthony Robinson, spoken about how Ream was important for him signing at Fulham. And um, you know, it, I think yesterday we could see that the quality is there, and and may, maybe the the reflections have been harsh because you know Fulham's defensive record in 1819 wasn't great in the Premier League, but that said, you know, I wouldn't say Ream had the has had the longest of shots. No, I, I guess not. And, th- and there was nothing the defence really could have done about the opening goal. On one hand, I want to talk about like what an amazing goal that was. Like sometimes you have to take away the tribal allegiances and just applaud what was an unbelievable finish from an unbelievable player. But also, it shouldn't have stood Peter. So, yeah. kind of a, a, a hard one to swallow, really, because if that happens against Man United, I, I know this is a really kind of basic football fan thing to say. 
But I think VAR gives that a longer look and double checks. And, and, and it's quite clear that Bruno Fernandes does not get a flick on the ball. And therefore Cavani's not just off, like not fractions offside. He's miles offside. Yeah. And I think what was particularly grating is that when Joe Bryan scored, VAR really tried hard to rule that out. I mean, there was a really long check. And to be honest, on first glance, it looked like Bobby Decker reed on the far side was onside anyway. But I mean, there were some shoulders being checked and everything else. But, you know, the, the Cavani's goal didn't have a long check by by what I can recall anyway. And as you say, Fernandez doesn't seem to touch the ball. I mean, it doesn't deviate. I mean, the, the one argument you could say is, is it overly clear and obvious? Can you be absolutely certain? You know, it's just, it doesn't seem like he touches it. I think originally the assist was given to De Gea and then that was sort of, you know, hastily changed to reflect the fact that Fernandez had supposedly touched it. So, I mean, but in terms of the quality of the goal, I mean, it was absolutely fantastic, you know, to score that goal, at Old Trafford when fans have returned, you know, it was, yeah, you can't, you can't not <laughs> acknowledge the quality really. I mean, Ariola will probably not be particularly happy about it and, and neither will the Fulham defence considering how high up the field they were and and, and the gap that emerged uh, behind Tossin when he goes to press Fernandez. But um, in terms of the technique and, and you know, <laughs> having the balls to do that in that situation, I mean, you're through on goal really. I mean, you could just run in and, and, and chip it and chip it, chip it over the keeper, but He's yeah. gone from range and he's, he's pulled it off. And it was, yeah, it was absolutely stunning. I, I think what annoyed me slightly was I was listening to Five Live at that point because I was in the car uh, and the Five Live commentary team were up in arms that VAR was even checking it because it was such a beautiful goal and such an iconic moment. And I'm thinking, Matt, like, look, I don't like marginal VAR offside decisions. Barring the cup final, I enjoyed that one on Saturday. But let's not just suddenly like change the rules because it was a nice goal and because it was the return of fans at Old Trafford. Like let's be consistent over a season. I was just a bit taken aback. They had to sheepishly say uh, five, 10 minutes later. Yeah. We think he might've actually got that one wrong. I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I had no idea in the time because I was in a car, but I also just was a bit taken aback why they were so shocked that VAR might have a look at um, the decision. But then after their Peter, you expected the floodgates to open and they very much didn't. And, and as much as Joe Bryan's goal at the end was important, I think the fact that Fulham then didn't go on to disgrace them themselves and, and you would have forgiven Fulham for that turning ugly like that is the situation a goal after 15 minutes the return of fans at Old Trafford a makeshift squad it had all of the ingredients of United going on and winning that 6-7-0 and that's what they've been capable of especially in the last couple of months look at Roma in the Europa League semi-finals yeah absolutely I mean I just think to the Southampton game where I I don't know. I mean, I was at St. Mary's for that one and it just felt like the body language was a bit flat. It just, I mean, apart from Fabio Cavalli, I think in his two two appearances has been excellent. We can talk about him in a minute, but it, you know, it just, it just, you know, after the first goal for, for Saints, they sort of dropped off a little bit. Um, and it just, you know, there was just wasn't that impetus in which you can, which you kind of understand. And obviously, you know, it's not what supporters want. It's not what everyone wants to see when the team are relegated and it's, you're looking for some kind of positivity um but with with confidence low you can sort of make that that, that you can you can you can understand it but then you know i think as you say sammy uh, you know to do that old trafford in front of supporters i think everyone sort of expected united to to just sort of push fulham aside by at that point um i do think united didn't really step out of second or third gear at all i don't think they had the same urgency to do that it did sort of have I wouldn't say a friendly tempo to it, but it wasn't a, uh, a sort of do or die temp tempo to the game. And I, I think that's not a surprise when, 
you know, United season in the league is wrapped up and, and so is Fulham's. But but that said, you know, even going back to the offside call, you know, these matches still do matter. You know, it is still important that Fulham finish 18th over 19th. It seems a bit silly to say it, but there's a couple of million pounds on the line there in merit payments. You know, if, if we judge from the 18-19 awards, I don't, really, don't know what it will be for this year, but it will be around that ballpark, which is a fair bit of money, particularly when, you know, when we've, we've talked about financial fair play and things like that. Yeah, um, and then the players too are playing for futures, um, whether that be at Fulham or, or elsewhere. So there is there is there is something riding on it. And um, either way, I think the, the performance from Fulham defensively uh, was very very good. Fort Lamina was excellent. Um, you know, he's, he did well. I think when he went in at centre half against Burnley, but even when he stepped into midfield against United, you know, his energy was was really really important. And um, as a team, I, I felt Fulham 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 performed very well. Yeah, and obviously Carvalho had his chance um, through on goal, well saved by De Gea. I was I was sad for him then, although I don't know if I quite could have dealt with the hype of of Carvalho <laughs> two from two. It would have been, I think, it you could have forgiven everyone for being Ryan Sessegnon mark two if he suddenly uh, scores in his first two Premier League games. But um, he was impressive again, and and I've seen a few people tweeting this morning that actually maybe in hindsight and the with the benefit of hindsight, he sh- could have actually warranted his shot earlier in the season because he he has proved himself. I can see why Scott Parker didn't do it, but also I think he's starting to prove that he's not just there, I don't know, to inflate a transfer fee like Harvey Elliott. He's not just there so that we can have some nice um, stats on the wall about our youth players actually getting into the team this season. He is fully there on merit, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's clearly got quality, and I, I think you're right. I mean, let, let's let's make sure he doesn't score too many goals until he gets that contract signed, and um, is is very much part of the furniture. Let's let's keep the hype to a, to yeah. a minimum, I think. Um, but I think you are right. I think hindsight obviously is a wonderful thing, and considering where Fulham were on the table, considering the type of games he's come into, I think that's also worth considering. You know, he's played games that are dead rubbers. Um, it's. I mean, apart from the Chelsea game where he came off the bench, it's, you know, there's a very different dynamic to those matches where everything is on the line, literally everything futures the club's survival. It's it, it's a different thing. And I think actually easing him in at this point is is helpful. It takes, there's no there's no outside other pressure that he has to concern himself about. He, the only thing he has to worry about really is making sure that he's making an impression really. Um, and he did that. I mean, his, his qualities undoubted I think he was very unlucky with his finish I think maybe it might have been a rush of blood to the head but his first touch was excellent takes him away from the defender opens his body out and he's tried to take it early but just doesn't get the the distance away from from David De Gea that he needed um, but I mean you only have to see his goal he scored at Southampton um, the composure in that situation how many times have we seen Fulham players get into that sort of position and, and pass up the opportunity you know Fulham will only get one or two of those a game and um, I mean, there's so many what ifs. We could probably do a whole podcast on it, Sammy. So, um, but to see to see a young player come through and and to, to have that attacking influence, um, it's been been really, really, really encouraging. I, I, against Southampton, I think because he starts he started out wide, and um, I think he took a few hits. One off uh, Mohamed Salasu, and, and another off uh, I think Yannick Vestergaard was it Jan Bednarek? I can't remember. Um, and because he's so small and so so slight, you just think, my God, is he going to be okay here? He's just going to get absolutely <laughs> pillared to post. But um, he, you know, he's he, he adapted. Technically, you can see the quality. You can see why he's been training with the first team for the last few months. Um, I think there may be an element of that. There may be an element of making sure he's up to speed, that he's competing, and 
Barker's sort of reference when asked about why he's come in now, saying that he sort of made that transition from just being in training to actually making a mark and saying that I can play these games. I, I should be in your starting lineup. And I think it's a little bit ahead of schedule. I don't think Fulham were probably looking to sort of give him the starts that he's had at this point. I think relegations obviously helped. Um, but I think I, I did a piece earlier in the season where they sort of, they've been not sure about how to use him because of his style of play. Does he go on loan? And it was felt that keeping him in that first team environment and pushing him that way would be the best way to progress. And he's clearly, you know, exceeded those those sort of timeframes of building towards next year's preseason and and is now firmly in the first team picture. And, and that's such an encouraging thing. And I think right now, amid everything else, that's that's a really nice thing for, for Fulham fans to cling on to. Yeah, definitely. I think it's been a real like um, ray of ray of sunshine kind of in what's been a pretty gloomy time to support the club. And and another thing that was a bit of a ray of sunshine was that goal. Um, Decker Dover reads to, to Joe Bryan, as I mentioned in the intro, the Bristol boys, they've been playing since they were kids. And for them to link up for a goal like that at the Stratford ends with with fans was, was a nice moment. Joe Bryan's first goal since those goals at Wembley in the uh, in the playoff final. It was a good cross by Decker Dover Reed and Joe Bryan took it well. I, I think that's all you can really say about it, but it, it was just a nice moment. And for 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 Fulham fans, and certainly uh, this is what I felt, just something to, to clench your fist at, to go, yes, get in. Like it's something that, because it's been such a miserable couple of months for Fulham. And, and actually, yes, it didn't matter it's all futile and pointless, although maybe uh, the the race for 18th is um, slightly helped through it. But I, I think that's the main thing I'll take away with it. It brought a smile to my face. And I feel like I haven't had many of those watching football for for a number of weeks now. That's that's Joe Bryan as well. I think, you know, I, I sort of wrote about that today because obviously he's a reminder of Wembley. But, you know, in terms of his personality and, you know, how he spoke after the game, there he is speaking to Jeff Shreves, blood pouring down his arm because of... Some some a slight knock and um, he speaks very well and I, I I think there is that that just having him back in the picture and having him scoring it's just I don't know it just felt quite positive it felt like a nice change in tone really and and I thought he played very well you know we, I touched on earlier about how he played at Southampton you know he is a really attacking wing back and I think when he has more license to get forward with that sort of insurance with a free at the back behind him. Um, he can play very, very well. We know we, we saw how important he was for Alexander Mitrovic last season and the goals he scored. I thought he linked up really nicely with Adam Ola Lukman. Um, a couple of times they sort of made inroads down that side, and and his goal is is about anticipation. It's wanting to get into the box. You know, it's it's a great play from Deckard Overreed. It was actually a really good team goal. Worked from the back, worked through the phases. Deckard Overreed gets wide and then whips in the cross, and and you need bodies in the box, and and that's what that's that's where Brian was and. It's been a difficult season for him. And it's, he's one of those players where you think, well, he hasn't really done much wrong. I know there's been sort of, you know, concerns about him from the defensive side, um, the Premier League, but it's, it's not necessarily been the case that he's had the chance to sort of disprove that. Um, Anthony Robinson's done well. I think he's improved over the season, uh, without doubt. And um, But, you know, you do wonder maybe if Brian could have had more of a role, particularly in terms of his ability from dead balls situations too. Fulham haven't scored enough from those from those scenarios, and um, and he, I think if we if we detach from hindsight, it, it, it was it was quite a nice moment, and it sort of rounded up what was a positive game. You know, it was a game that sort of reminded everyone of, of Fulham's results at Anfield, of Goodison Park, at the King Power Stadium. You know, these the more positive aspects to the to the season, and also how it started and to, to sort of end with with Brian scoring was 
almost end anyway, um, was, was nice to see. Yeah, I mean, do you see a future for Joe Bryan next season? Because if I was Joe Bryan and kind of progressing with his career how he is, he's another one on that pile of players who must be thinking, what's my future here? Because I might play in the championship next season, but am I just going to be dropped again when I come up to the Premier League? He must be one having a bit of a, I don't know, a, a real thought about where his future lies and what's best for his career at this point because he he's not now at an age where he can afford to lose two years again chasing a you know chasing an ambition that may not happen for him yeah I think if I'm if I'm Joe Bryan that's probably the the, the thinking um you know it's that the scenario that he wants is it going to be another season he'll, he'll, he will have Anthony Robinson to compete with um as well do 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 you want to take that that line again and then know that when you get to the Premier League you may not play? I think it's a difficult one because then at the same time you'll be playing with an upwardly mobile Fulham team who who want to get back into the Premier League and um, it's it's yeah it's, it's a difficult one. I think his contract runs out in in two years' time. I think he signed an extension in the summer uh, last summer. So uh, it's one it's a difficult one for him. I think I don't I don't think it's a it's an easy one. But you know in terms of his character, you don't get it. You won't be the kind of player who kick up a fuss. I think it's been, what's been quite nice actually is how involved he's still been with the team. I think Anthony Robinson's spoken really warmly about how much he's helped him this year uh, off the field, little bits of advice. Sometimes you see him at half time, Brian, you know, when, when, uh, when the subs are warming up and the players come back out for the second half, he'll go up to Robinson and they'll have a chat and he'll exchange some pointers and whatever. And, and Brian's the kind of character who'll go around to all of the teammates and just sort of just GM up for the second half. And, He's a really positive influence, I think. Um, and I think Fulham would want to keep him for, in that side. But from his own perspective, I think, you know, you, you probably do need to assess where where you want to go and, and, and what, you know, what direction he, he wants to travel in. Yeah, I mean, 27 years old, 28 in September. So definitely getting to that point of his career where he surely will be having to think about what's next. I mean, um, Adam, who was running the Fulhamish Twitter last night, did a tweet that did quite well saying, restarting the Joe Bryan left wing brigade, please join. And um, I've always thought that it could be an option and you potentially could try and incorporate Bryan and Robinson in the same team. And I don't think it would be a completely nuts thing. We all saw Joe Bryan's assist record for, from last year. And, and I think it it definitely could work. Um, Peter, a quick word on, on Mitrovic, not in the side at all. Although Parker did say it was because of an injury. Um, do we believe him? <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, I mean, I've not heard anything to the contrary on that. So, um, yeah, as you say, Parker said afterwards that he picked up a glute injury and pulled out of training two days ago. Um, I mean, Mitrovic hasn't been involved this year. I think we've all, all been aware of that. We've all, and, you know, it's, sort of my understanding that I think Mitrovic probably won't won't want to hang around if, if Scott Parker remains as as coach and I don't think that's a surprise either and, and unless there's some kind of change there and um you know it's 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 a difficult one and if you know I mean it's it's not it's not been the season for him and if it does end the sort of this way with him having been on the bench not really been involved and then sort of just shuffled out the side it would be would wouldn't really sit too well I don't think um, which would be a great shame considering how important he's been for Fulham in, in recent years. 
Yeah, indeed. Right, well, it was a positive point for, for Fulham and uh, certainly one that put a bit of pride back into the club after a, a difficult few weeks um, at Craven Cottage. We're going to take a break and then afterwards we're going to look at the ding-dong at the top, Scott Parker versus the Fulham hierarchy. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy James here and I'm still joined by Peter Rutzler. How you doing, Peter? I'm I'm all right. I'm all right. Where is Jack today, by the way? Is he just he's just not bothered or No. So he's having bad internet issues. So he moved into a, a new flat and I think it's a new build. Um that he's bought his first flat and um it's got no internet. His hotspot's a nightmare. So he's basically living in the internet wilderness and um has to commute back to his parents' house in order to get any kind of internet so that he can record the various podcasts that he does. So um So have we slipped down the packing order now, Sammy? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah! Very, very much so. We're about uh, we're about seven out of eight podcasts that uh, that Jack uh, does in, in in his time. No, I think he. Uh... <laughs> have words, I think. <laughs> I think he may be preempted that we were going to lose eight nil, and just um, thought he'd give this one a swerve, and actually may have been um, uh, pleasantly surprised that Fulham actually managed to get a point. And uh, <laughs> who can blame him? Quite frankly, um, Peter. We did the podcast last Thursday. We knew that there was a bit of um, unease between Scott Parker and Tony Khan, Shade Khan, the Fulham hierarchy, as it were. And then what happened later on Thursday at his press conference, fair to say, um, blew up Fulham Twitter. Um, (laughs) You you lit the match and then the whole thing went kaboom. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't. I was just trying to think what we said last time because it seems quite a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah, um, so much changes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the circumstances in terms. Of, I think we discussed what sort of Scott Parker and his team sort of frustrations were, and I don't. I don't think that's that's necessarily changed. I don't think that side of it has. But I think, and I think understandably too, um, there is a bit of disquiet from from the hierarchy um i mean that puts it mildly considering how how the feeling last week um i think about parker not really sort of nailing his colors to the mast and then and sort of committing going forward and and also some some comments and i think the comment i think he said um in that press conference last week that he hadn't had uh, conversations or spoken to to the hierarchy uh, he said i've not spoken to tony or the ownership i've not had that conversation yet that they were the words that i think a lot of people just were almost incredulous about that three days after relegation was confirmed against burnley people were kind of envisaging that <laughs> scott park has been waiting by the phone <laughs> waiting for it to <laughs> ring and it just hasn't yeah and and, and my sort of understanding of, of why the hierarchy were upset was that that Tony Khan had conveyed messages to Scott Parker via through Alistair McIntosh. Um, so the idea that there was no sort of dialogue wasn't necessarily true. Now, um, I think it's it's hard to say that there's been conversations. And when we start actually picking through the words of what is said, uh, are we talking about a phone call? There hadn't been a phone call. That was my sort of understanding. Um, so... <laughs> what conversations were had have they spoken about next season it doesn't doesn't really seem to be that way it just seems to me scott parker says i haven't spoken to tony or the ownership and that seems fair enough if tony's sent a message through alistair mcintosh i still think that scott parker is 
correct in what he said. He hasn't spoken to Tony. Conveying a message, pick up the phone, Tony. It's, that's what seems mad to me. Don't send a message through someone else. That's that. Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree. And I mean, you know, there was, I think there was a, a sense that I think Shahid Khan, and sort of my understanding of his position was that he was actually quite upset with how the team had gone down, you know, and the fact that Fulham had actually put themselves in a position to survive and then actually passed it up. I think we almost got a hint of that in his sort of programme notes where he talks about how how much it stung that those those results against Leeds, Villa and Wolves um, and, you know, still held out optimism that they could they could pull off something impressive. Um, and he his sort of position was to sort of let's let the dust settle. Let's let's re- I'll reach out to Scott, but then we'll we'll regroup. And I think just the, the comments in, that came out in the media, what Scott said, uh, clearly just sort of aggravated what what have been, I think, some uncertainties. And I think we've talked about Scott Parker's sort of frustrations. I don't think he's he's tried to be subtle with what he said, but I you know we we've talked about it. You know, in terms of he wants big decisions to be made in the summer. He's talked about club structure. He's talked about the director of scouting position and making sure that's a position that's not filled. Um, he's also talked about the the issues of, of squad turnover and, and loans. I uh, spoke last week about um, wanting to build a, a club culture, and, um, and to do that, you can't really do it with 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 that high turnover. So, I wonder, and I don't know this for sure, but I mean, it, it wouldn't wouldn't be much of a stretch to see how much that may have been a frustration, coupled with the fact that Parker hasn't come out and said I am staying next season. When you know, my understanding is the club want him to stay; they want him to lead the their Premier League push. Uh, he has two years left on his contract, um, so I think that's that's all at play. And then also the links to other teams. Um, obviously, there's been talk about Tottenham. You know, but I, I wonder how premature that is. I, I can't really see that that happening. But obviously, Scott Parker, Matt Wells, and and his first team coaching staff, uh, Nathan Gardner and Charlie Moore. They all they're all from Spurs, so there is that tie. Um, for, and I wonder, you know, and then the Bournemouth links. Uh, Oliver Kay on the Athletic wrote a good piece about how um Bournemouth are um have been looking at Scott Parker for a while I mean he's I mean he was talking about Bournemouth season they've had a difficult campaign but Scott Parker sort of one of the key managers they earmarked as a as a replacement for Eddie Howe and that that view hasn't actually changed so with all of that floating around it can see why the hierarchy would get very frustrated with with Parker um and then that said you know what Parker has come out and pointed out pointed to in terms of um, squad turnover and trying to build something for the longer term I think they're valid points I think we've discussed that we've discussed you know that Fulham in order to break their sort of yo-yo cycle they need to have that sort of longer term strategy to to build into the Premier League um, and those discussions need to be happening and then when you factor that in with the fact that, you know, that maybe there wasn't <laughs> those, those those conversations happening I think that's upset quite a lot of supporters and I think how it's perceived has had a role Um and yeah, and that, that's where that tension has come in. But I think now, fundamentally, it, you know, I think we're sort of in a holding pattern. I think I wrote that in, my, in the piece today where we're just waiting to see what Scott Parker comes out and, and says. And he's sort of said, you know, he's not going to commit until, oh, well, he's not said that specifically, but he's not made, he's not clarified or doesn't look like he will clarify his position until after Sunday's match with, with Newcastle. So, you know, I think the ownership got a bit of heat for the, for the situation. I think Parker's got a bit of heat for the whole situation. Uh, I don't think anyone's come out pretty well from it. I don't think it looks great either. Um, but, you know, these, you know, it, 
it's 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 one of those. I mean, is this lost time now that we're talking about here in, in in this intervening period? I mean, it is three games in a week is the other factor. So I wonder if it's a case of right, let's get these games done and then then we'll talk about it, which I think is is, is understandable too. Um, but yeah, my, my sort of opinion on it is it's all a bit unseemly. Um, it's not the sort of transition you want after relegation. You'd want to start straight away, go right. Let's build for next year. Let's look at that. And I, I guess we've seen that in the lineups. And I guess that's if we're starting to sort of pick things out. I think Scott Parker spoke spoken about what looking forward to working with Fabio Carvalho. Um, so I don't I don't get the the, the sense that it's like a, a, a total disconnect, but there there evidently is one. And I think resolving that, whether that comes after Newcastle, will be an immediate priority as as Fulham try to to build back into the Premier League. Well, yeah, but there have been a few noises from Parker, which kind of suggests that he has got an eye on next season. I, I, I thought what he said about the Tosin Adarabaya rumours, which kind of you reported, and it was in the article that David Ornstein publishes in, in The Athletic, linking him to moves to Newcastle and Arsenal. And Parker said he doesn't need to go. He's a young player who is still improving and has loads to do. He's been fantastic for us. And of course, it's inevitable relegated teams see others come in for your better players, but he's under contract and I can't see him going anywhere. It doesn't necessarily scream, I'm here next season, but it also does suggest to me Parker's not 100% out the door either. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of it, Sammy. It's the, I, this just goes back to what I was saying where there's not a total disc. I don't think doors are shut. You know, I, I, as I was saying, you know, the club want Parker to, to to lead Fulham back into the Premier League and I don't get the impression that they're going to to sack him. So um, it's it's more it's more in his core, I guess. And I, I guess looking at those sort of comments, you don't get the impression either that he's sort of decided he's completely off yet. Um the persistence of rumours elsewhere don't don't help things, I don't think. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what sort of impact the te- the, the tension of of this past week has too. And um, I think I wrote in a column over the weekend that there has to be some kind of clear the air talks because <laughs> because of what's come out and that that the the noise and, and the frustrations and uh, especially if Fulham wants to, to go in the right direction. And there are a lot of other questions too, which we've we we have discussed in terms of how does he bring some of these players back in from the fold? Um, what does he actually want? Does he want, are there reassurance he's seeking? He hasn't actually said specifically about that other than loosely referencing big, big decisions and, and talking about structure. Um, you know, the, these are all different elements that have got to be sort of welded together. And, um, but you don't get the sense that it's, that's not possible yet anyway. No, indeed. All right, well, we're going to take another quick break uh, and then afterwards we'll look ahead to the return of fans to Craven Cottage. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Peter Rutzler. Um, Peter, I just wanted to start you off with uh, a kind of mind-blowing stat uh, about Fulham. Uh, 46% of our points this season have come against Liverpool, United, Spurs, Everton, Arsenal and Leicester. Um just sums it up really and and sums up such a topsy-turvy season where we've actually done so well against some of the bigger sides you know getting 13 points out of those clubs is a sensational return but also just typifies how poor we've been in those games that really matter against bottom 10 sides yeah it's 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 a bit wild isn't it i think um i think i saw was it ben jarman who replied to it saying that you know 30 percent of fulham's points are coming a week yeah uh to, to the fulhamish tweet so um it's yeah i think (laughs) that sort of summed it up really and um 
it does show that Fulham can compete. Uh, whether they just seem to get themselves up for the Lord Mayor's show on these big occasions is, you know, could be could be one thing. I, I, Bournemouth did that actually a, a little bit last year. They got some very good results. I think they beat Chelsea away, beat Man United at home, but then couldn't beat the teams around them and, and some of those key games against mid-table sides. Um, it, it's, it certainly underlines the frustration. Um, I think what is interesting, and I know this ties into what we're going to talk about now, is, is just how poor Fulham have been at home. Um, the lack of goals at Craven Cottage has been really quite stark. They've scored only nine goals at the Cottage. Uh, the worst, worst record at, at home of any top flight sides, only 10 points. Um, and that that's probably been one of the key factors. You know, Fulham, the way Fulham have sort of evolved in their tactical style, you know, being more counter-attacking, being more fluid, does suit sitting off against... Sorry, I've got these hiccups. Um, <laughs> Does suit sitting off against you know some of these bigger teams going to to Liverpool and to Everton. Although that said, I wouldn't say they sat off in those games. They certainly took it to them. Uh, but in terms of setup, it it, it certainly you know it, it lends itself to playing in that way. Which is all the more interesting going into next season where Fulham definitely won't be able to do that. Where next season, there won't be really a single game where Fulham are on the back foot hoping to hold on and, and, and nick points. So kind of it is a it is a style of play that's worked for Parker this year but it 100% won't work in the championship where we'll be expected to be on the front foot and expected to take the ball to teams and probably have 70% possession in over half the matches yeah they'll have to be more positive um there's no doubt about that and I do I do wonder about um supporters in grounds which is sort of what I was touching on you know not that they would have made you can't really say they make a massive difference but I think generally you tend to see away teams playing with a little bit more freedom and I wonder if you get Fulham winning just two matches this season at the Cottage and scoring only nine goals with with supporters in there you know there there have been games where games have just sort of drifted um, I sort of think back to, to Brighton and Southampton over Christmas and um, you know the Wolves game where you really you need that goal, but haven't been able to find the sort of the right tempo and energy to get it. And and when fans did come in against against Liverpool, I mean that first half was was electric, and not just from the noise that was created, but you know the the way in which it sort of raised the team and up there they're, they're pressing, and Liverpool can get out of their own half. Um, and now ne- next season, of course, it's it's a different. I think expectations are different. There's less of that. Right, we're underdogs, and let's just go for them and. We want to see the team commit themselves well. It's um, there will be that different challenge. There will be that different, you know, obstacle of having to unpick teams, unpick locks, teams setting up defensively. Yeah, um, but I do. When when looking back, I do wonder what what sort of impact that has had on Fulham. I mean, the thing is, it's easy to say that, and it applies to every team. And you know, the table doesn't lie. You know, everyone's in the same boat, and Fulham have come up short in that in that sense. But because Fulham have been so close, because they've had thirteen draws. You do wonder if, you know, with a little bit of impetus, some of those could have been turned into to wins and that, that could have could have made this this relegation fight a little bit tighter and maybe a different outcome. I guess the only thing to say, I, I fully agree with fans at Craven Cottage and particularly the kind of ground that Craven Cottage is. Fulham have always been a team that does well at home and I know every team does well at home, but Craven Cottage has always felt like a place where Fulham are likely to get 
a result or two in an unlikely place. But I, I think that might be countered with the fact that I don't think with fans at grounds, Fulham win at Goodison. I don't think Fulham, I don't think Liverpool lose six in a row at Anfield, which probably means that Fulham don't win there as well. I, I feel like it might have balanced out. Interesting mm. potential outcome with that stat as well about lack of goals at home, Peter. I believe that if Fulham fail to score against Newcastle on Sunday, it will be the lowest home goals tally ever in a Premier League season. Man City uh, scored 10 in the 06-07 season under Stuart Pearce um, at the City of Manchester Stadium, as it was known then. And obviously Fulham have scored nine. So yeah, um, we need a goal to equal the record and uh, we need two goals to avoid um, breaking that awful record. I mean, how Man City managed to do that with fans is something else, really. Um, so yeah, return of fans to, to Craven Cottage on Sunday, Peter, for, for the visit of Newcastle. And it's such a shame. This is a dead rubber, really, isn't it? Because we'd been talking about this. I think we spotted it in December, didn't we? We spotted it in December before the Newcastle game that we played up at St. James's Park, that they were in trouble and there is a possibility it could all come down to this final game, Fulham versus Newcastle for a place in the Premier League. And whilst Newcastle are in 17th at the moment and Fulham are in 18th, um, there is a sizable gap that means that there is absolutely nothing riding on this game. Yeah, um, it's, it's a real shame, isn't it? I mean, it was set up for... You know, well, even when when it was announced that fans would be coming back this week, um, you think, wow, that's only one game that's going to be included. Obviously, the the penultimate week was 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 moved was moved back to to get to get in on the action. But it was, you know, that was that was sort of the this was sort of the the, the pinnacle and uh, and always that sort of get out. You know, it's like, well, as long as Fulham are in, within three points, they'll be fine. And the fact that that hasn't happened and it hasn't happened so emphatically is is really really disappointing. Um, I think, you know, you, you, we do think back to, obviously, to Anfield. Since Anfield, Fulham just haven't kicked on at all. And you compare that with, with what Newcastle have done since their defeat at Brighton. And it's, it's you know, it's chalk and cheese. And it would have made for a really, really good game. That said, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, what sort of reaction the team get. I think for from, you know, I think from a supporter perspective, not actually seeing this Premier League season will be very, very strange. Um, you know, coming, you know, I mean, obviously there's Liverpool and obviously there's Newcastle, but there's only 2,000 fans expected in the ground so we're not talking about the majority actually getting to see about Premier League football um which which is a, which is a great shame really because you know after such excitement at Wembley not actually being able to share any moments really um or not 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 well the majority anyway um is is a shame and obviously it'd be interesting to see what type of lineup Scott Parker goes for as well of course there have been you know whether he plays some low knees, whether he plays more players who are contracted to the club next year. I think there are there are players there who have who've come in and done really well. You know, we've talked about how well Joachim Anderson's done, uh, Adamola Lookman, Mario Lamina, um, Alphonse Ariola. Will will fans get to to see some of those players? Will those players themselves actually get to play in front of fans at the cottage? You know, that's something that they would not have experienced on their on their time at, at the club too. So That'll be an interesting sort of dynamic. And I don't know what you feel about it, Sammy, what sort of team you would want to see if, if, if you're on the terraces this weekend. I think it would be nice to see a few of the players that have impressed this year. And I think that includes some of the low knees. I don't imagine that Loftus-Cheek would get a particularly great reaction given how that loan move has worked. And whilst 
Joachim Anderson and Alphonse Ariola aren't going to be here next year, I believe they deserve a send-off in front of fans. And so Anderson didn't play yesterday against United, or at least he didn't start. Um, he did come on as a sub later on. I think it would be nice for someone like Anderson to get to play a good chunk of the game in, in front of the fans. And I think a player like him and another player like Ariola, um, Lamina would definitely be in the, in this category as well. I think deserve that send off Lookman as well. So I, I'd like to see a near full strength side, but with that nod to the future as well, I'd like to see Joey Bryan in there. I'd love to see Fabio Carvalho get a run out in front of fans. I think he'll get a, a, a terrific, um, reception and I guess the really interesting one Peter and I, I swear I always hark back to the M word is does Mitrovic get to play one final game um in front of fans at, at Craven Cottage I think he out more than anyone has missed the fans this season I do just think he he really thrives off a crowd he always seems to and particularly at Craven Cottage he really you saw him rise when he would score a goal and he would just grow two feet taller with, with that crowd. So I'd like to see him also get a nod, but I don't know if that quite fits in with what Parker's thinking. I agree. He has that sort of visceral connection, doesn't he, with with supporters. And, you know, it'll be interesting if what Parker says about this this injury, previewing the game later in the week. Um, you know, I, I think... I think if he can play, he should be involved, um, considering where things are in terms of where he's sort of what his sort of stance is at the moment and what Parker's stance is at the moment and all that uncertainty. So, um, yeah, I think <laughs> considering all of that, it'd be good to, to at least see to at least see him feature. Um, what kind of reception do you think Scott Parker will get? Considering you know, obviously he's not he's not had the you know, sort of adulation for the promotion. And obviously he's now coming back into it with, with supporters for relegation. So how, how, how do you see that playing out? I would imagine fairly warm. Like I, I, I still think a silent majority of Fulham fans still back Parker. I know that there is an ever growing discontent against him online. And, and I think there are certainly questions about some of his tactics, especially in the last two months. And some of the football has been really turgid and awful and, I, I still think, though, there is a general depth of good feeling amongst the fan base. I would be surprised if there's... I'd be surprised if there's much negativity, really, on Sunday. I imagine those that are going are going because they want to return to live football. I think there's been a real controversy about the ticket price for this. It's it's £40 for a game that means absolutely nothing. And whilst you could maybe give the club the benefit of the doubt that this could have been a, a big game and therefore worth the 40 pound ticket price if any ticket is ever worth 40 pounds but considering it is a dead rub i think there's been a lot of negativity about it i'm not going on sunday i mean i didn't don't think i had the opportunity because i didn't get the ballot for either brighton or, or liverpool but even if i did have the opportunity i think i'd have thought twice before paying 40 pounds for a completely meaningless game that i could just watch on the tv um but i think those that are going will just be missing live football and probably want to show a little bit of appreciation to a team that has valiantly tried, um, if been quite flawed at several times this season. I, I think it's interesting also just looking at how the United fans responded at Old Trafford uh, last night. Um, obviously, there's a lot of discontent there towards the Glazer family, and that was 
that was evident that was there but there was also a lot of enthusiasm there was a lot of excitement that was very difficult to contain and I think once you get back inside the ground and I think when supporters also see the riverside stand development and how much that's changed how how much the cottage is changing um I think it, I would be very surprised if it's if it would be negative so it'd be, it would be great for me too just to see fans in there again obviously had that brief brief experience at, at the Liverpool game and yeah. as soon as we can get full crowds in again the, the better yeah and and I, I'm I can't wait to see all your photos of the Riverside stand uh, <laughs> at me on Twitter at Mr Sammy James I, yeah, I will give with, you with fans back is that now redundant a redundant exercise you know or, or, or should I, do, I, do I keep going no you know, keep going Peter keep winding up the masses with your endless photos of the Riverside stand I think it needs to be done <laughs> Uh, well, look, um, thank you very much for listening today. Um, some positivity on the podcast. Who'd have thunk it, eh? After the kind of miserable few weeks that we've had. But Joey Bryan puts a smile on our face. Shock. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. No, thank you, Sammy. You know, it's, it's a pleasure. I'll always step up for duty, unlike Mr. Collins. <laughs> well hopefully he gets his internet fixed very soon um congrats to jack taplin for the podcast name today theater of reams and we'll be back on sunday after that newcastle game reacting to the match and what it's like with fans inside craven cottage again if you're going on sunday um enjoy it enjoy the day out yes the match doesn't mean much but i'm sure you'll uh, absolutely love the feeling of being back inside the hallowed turf at Craven Cottage. So thank you for listening today and come on you whites. <laughs>